At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Good morning, everybody. It is uh, great for us to have the opportunity to gather here today. Um, and as we do so, I just want to uh, just share a little bit else about what's going on in our world and in our week right now in this time and season. Um, this is a, a challenging time. I know for many of you economically, we're concerned about those things also as a church, not concerned ultimately because we know that God will provide for all of our needs. Uh, but also we're monitoring our church budget. Like many of you who uh, have employees, we have looked to the CARE Act to provide some assistance. But I just want you all to know uh, here today, as we pray for those things and the different paths that God might provide that assistance, whether it's, it's through uh, the, the assistance provided by the government, whether it's through uh, generous offerings from, from you and from me and from others, uh, but friends, as we gather here today, we want to remind all of us that it is God himself who is providing through whatever means that is. And if God is moving in your heart to contribute to Wildwood during this season, we would love to have you uh, join us and contribute, continue to worship in that way. One of the ways that you can do that is, is through our online portal at wildwoodchurch.org slash give. Uh, also, you can text to give to text give to Wildwood to 95577, or you can can mail in offerings and we will receive those here at our church office. But just wanted to make sure that you all were aware of the opportunities to continue to worship at this way in this time and, and join us in praying as we look to see how God will provide in this time and in this season. Well, friends, uh, Today we're going to be continuing our series that we began a few weeks ago called Defeating Death. And in this series we've been walking through Matthew chapter 26, 27, and 28 to see all that Jesus did for us in those last couple of days as he headed to the cross and ultimately to the resurrection. And so far in this series, we've seen a number of things. We've seen that Jesus' life would be given by him, not taken from him. He was no victim, but he willingly and intentionally laid down his life for us. We've seen that we can value Jesus most of all. And we saw that through the example of Mary as they gathered for a meal together and she anointed him with perfume. We've been reminded through the Last Supper that we can remember in an ongoing way what Jesus has done for us in the past. And then we saw through Peter's failures, through the denial, we have seen how we can avoid the pitfall of failure. And then we've also seen how we can face adversity on our knees. As Jesus literally had the weight of the world resting upon him, he dropped to his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane and provided an amazing example for us, seeking God's will, not just his preference. And then last week, we saw how Jesus is the Son, the sacrifice, and our Savior in the trials with Pilate and with Caiaphas. Now today we're going to look at another section of God's Word as we continue on in chapter 27, and we, we get to see this. We get to see how we can avoid the mistake of the mockers, the mistake of the mockers who mocked Jesus even as he went to the cross. So this is where we're going to be today by looking at Matthew 27, 27 through 44. 
But before we get to those verses today, I want to just think for a moment about our experience as followers of Christ today. You know, as we follow Jesus, we remember what Jesus has done for us, and we really celebrate that through a very common symbol. In churches all over the world today, there are crosses that are prominently displayed, including right here at Wildwood. Here at Wildwood, we have a cross that hangs on the wall in the front of our worship center. And when we think about that cross being there, it seems very normal for us. As a matter of fact, the cross is such a normal symbol for us that that people will turn it into jewelry. They, they They will put it in earrings or necklaces. They'll hang it on walls of their house. It's very normal for us to have the cross as a symbol of hope and of life. But friends, that has not always been the case. When we think about the symbol of the cross, it has not always been a symbol of hope and of life. As a matter of fact, when we think about the cross, historically, the cross is a symbol of death and of pain and of suffering. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said of the cross, as he talked about the cross, he said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, that there was death, but then there was something even worse than death. There was death on the cross, death with suffering, death with shame. We think about the cross. Paul, a first century Roman citizen, saw it as even worse than a normal death. We think about Cicero, a politician of that era. Cicero said this of the cross. He said, This is the most cruel and terrible punishment. When Cicero talked of the cross, he said that Roman citizens were not even to mention it. It was so terrible and so awful. The cross or crucifixion was not a punishment that the Romans could give to Roman citizens themselves. Only Caesar could give it to a Roman citizen. It was just that awful. It was a punishment reserved for the worst of the worst. So friends, how is it as we gather here today for worship in 2020, and as you look around your apartment or you look around your house, why do we have crosses everywhere? What happened that took the cross from a symbol of death to a symbol of life and hope? Well, friends, we know what happened. Jesus happened. Jesus went to the cross. And as he went to the cross, not only did he change what the cross would mean in terms of a symbol, but also he changed all of our hope for eternity when he went to the cross to bear the penalty for our sins and to demonstrate his love for us. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 through 44. And as we look at these verses, as we see Jesus go to the cross, we will be encouraged and reminded of all that Jesus has done for us that day. So if you have a Bible, take it and open up to Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 through 44. I want to read those verses for us, and then after I read them, we'll back up and see three things from these verses today. It says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and they put a reed in his right hand, 
And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. And they took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and they put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. Now, as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and they kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders, they mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. If he is the King of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now, friends, as we want to break down those verses so that we might see three things today, the first thing we're going to see is this. We have an opportunity to honor Jesus as king. We have an opportunity to honor Jesus as king. Now, where do we see that? inside of this passage. Well, let's remember where we are in this passage. Jesus had spent the night praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and at the end of that time of prayer, Judas Iscariot led the mob to him, and they arrested Jesus, and they brought him back to Caiaphas's house for a trial. And after that trial, uh, the Jewish religious leaders had sentenced Jesus to a crime worthy of death. They said that he had blasphemed because they did not believe who he was, and so they, they They gave him the sentence of death, but they didn't have the ability to carry that out. So they took him from that location to Pilate, the Roman governor's location. And Pilate has another trial with Jesus. And at the end of that trial, Jesus is sentenced to death, a death by crucifixion. He would be nailed to a cross and lifted up to suffocate there in public. That was what was going to happen with Jesus. But before he is taken away to the cross, the soldiers have some fun with him. Now, I say fun not because it was fun, but because this was their sport, if you will, a cruel punishment. It began with a scourging, it says in verse 26, where they beat him on the back so severely and wounded him almost mortally at that point. But after the scourging, The soldiers take him out and they begin to mock him according to the crime that he was committed of. In other words, Pilate said, I'm sentencing him to death because he has claimed to be the king of the Jews. And so the soldiers begin to mock him as a king. And so they take a bunch of thorns and they weave them together into a crown because a king would have a crown 
And they, they placed that crown upon his head. Now, I'm not going to place it fully on my head, but it was placed fully on Jesus' head, mocking him as a king. Not only did they mock him as a king in that way, but they took a purplish-red garment, probably an old soldier's suit, and they thought, this man needs to be dressed up as a king. So not only would he have this, this crown that inflicted pain, but they took an old, dirty garment, and they draped it on his already cut and bleeding body, and they mocked him in that way as well. And then they handed him a reed because a king would need a scepter, But instead of actually reigning with that scepter, they took it from his hand and they beat him about the head, driving those thorns deeper into his brow and wounding him even further. Friends, the soldiers in a terrible, terrible way mocked Jesus as king. It's tragic for us to see. But how do we respond when we see Jesus treated in this way? Well, friends, I think there's a couple of of responses that we can have. The first of those responses is is simply this. The, The first response is that we realize all that Jesus endured for us. Not only did he endure the cross, but he endured the condemnation of soldiers who ridiculed him. Not only did he endure the cross, but he also endured a scourging by his stripes, We are healed. Part of what we do when we look at his treatment at the hands of the soldiers is we remember what he has done for us. But the other thing that can happen as we look at his mistreatment and the mockery that the soldiers gave him, part of what also can happen is we can be inspired and reminded that we today, right now, where we sit, have an opportunity to give Jesus, our King, the honor that was withheld him in front of Pilate and with the soldiers. They mocked him, but friends, we can bow before him in genuine worship. Charles Spurgeon said this of this passage. He says, oh, that we were half as inventive in devising honor for our king as these soldiers were in planning his dishonor. Let us render to Christ the real homage that these men pretended to offer him. Let us crown him Lord of all, and in truest loyalty, bow the knee and hail him king. Friends, the soldiers did not give him this respect, but you and I, we can. So what does it look like for us to honor Jesus as king even today? Well, I think there's a number of things that we might see. The first thing that we can do as we honor Jesus as king is we can honor him as king in the way that we prioritize him in our lives. The way that we prioritize him. Is is our time with Jesus the last thing we add to our schedule? Or is it something that goes in first? You know, right now, our lives have taken different rhythms, right? For many, you can't go to work. You're staying at home. And in the evenings, there's no Oklahoma City Thunder playoff games to watch. There's no March Madness basketball. There's no opening day of baseball. Our lives have been scrambled. The jobs that we thought we had, we don't have to go to anymore. So in the midst of our new reality, how are we prioritizing our time with Jesus this week? We're heading into the the first day of of Holy Week, walking towards Easter Sunday. How are you going to 
maximize your time by prioritizing your time with Jesus this week in, in Scripture reading and in prayer in your, with your family or alone? How are you prioritizing him? One of the ways that we honor Jesus as king is by prioritizing him. But a second way we can honor Jesus as king is by obeying him. The way that we obey Jesus shows that we are honoring him as our Lord, our master, and our king. Friends, if Jesus is the one that we are following, then that will lead to a path of obedience in our lives. When you think about your, your day, are, are you obeying Christ in, in what you watch or what you listen to, the things that you dwell on or think about, the way that you treat others, even as our world has somewhat shrunk in some ways in terms of those we interact with? Isn't it interesting how it's sometimes challenging for us to, to even show love and kindness and, and, and follow Jesus in relating to those who are closest to us. Sometimes it's easier to be kind to the person in line at the grocery store. It's harder to be kind to the people that we're living with. How are we obeying Christ in the way that we treat others? That's one of the ways that we show that we are honoring Jesus as our king if we obey him. Another way is the way that we depend upon him. The way that we depend upon him is a way that we show that we're honoring Jesus as king. He's our Lord. He's our master. He's our savior. So when we sin, rather than trying to do penance to make up for it ourselves, let us drop to our knees and ask for the forgiveness that Christ provides. When we think about the dependence that we have upon him, it would reveal itself in the way that we pray as we deal with the challenges in front of us. Do we try to weather them ourselves or do we take them before the Lord in prayer? Friends, these are some of the ways that we honor Jesus as king, but there's another, the way that we talk about him, the way that we talk about him. You know that we tend to talk about the things that are most important to us? We talk about the things that are most important to us. That, that's true. If you are into a sports team, you talk about that sports team. If you are excited about your school, you talk about your school. If you're in a fraternity or a sorority and you're excited about that experience, you talk about that experience. If you have a good friend, you talk about that friend. If you have a loved one, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, you talk about those people. We talk about the things that are important to us. And if Jesus is our king, we I ought to show up in the way that we talk about him, not using his his name as an exclamation or a punchline, but talking about him with reverence and respect, telling others what he has done for us. Friends, one of the ways that we, we honor Jesus as king is the way that we talk about him. And friends, this week, what an opportunity we have at Easter time for us to invite others to worship with us in this environment. It's never been easier to just hop online, to click on a web address in your pajamas and, and worship God, even from the spot where you are in your own home. Friends, I just would encourage us to talk about Jesus if he is our king. We, we look at the way the soldiers treated him, and we, we shriek back in horror, rightfully so. But rather than just looking at that situation and thinking it's a historical mistake, let us look at that situation and respond differently today. They withheld honor. Let's give it to him today as our king. The first thing we see from this section is that we are to honor Jesus as king. But the second thing that we see in this passage is that we are to carry the cross with Jesus. We're to carry the cross 
with Jesus. Now, where do we see that? Well, we see that in verse 32. Now, it's helpful for us to remember everything that has transpired before we get to verse 32. See, Jesus had been up all night spending the evening in prayer, a very emotional time of prayer. That's where Jesus was the night before. He'd been up all night. He had not slept. Then he had a very intense trial before Caiaphas and before Pilate. He had been scourged and beaten to within an inch of his life, a lot a loss of blood and pain and suffering in that moment. Some would even die from such treatment. Jesus did not. But those experiences, friends, had left him weakened. And so as Jesus leaves to go to the place where they would crucify him, which was the place called Golgotha, which in Aramaic means the place of the skull, you may have also heard the word Calvary, that is the Latin translation of this location. Jesus is is led out to that spot to be crucified. Now, the way they would transport him is a number of soldiers would be with those who were being crucified, and they would walk them through the city streets to that location. And when they walked them there, they placed upon them the cross beam of the cross that they would be crucified upon. Historical records have have guessed that that cross beam would have weighed somewhere between 60 and 100 pounds. So Jesus, up all night, already beaten, already bleeding, already tired and fatigued, is falling under the weight of 60 to 100 pounds. Now, friends, just think for a moment about the paradox of this all. As the eternal Son of God, he literally had the weight of the world, the the punishment, the payment for all sins being placed upon his back. That was the divine Son of God, but he also was fully human. And the humanity of Christ is on full display here as he is crushed beneath the weight of 60 to 100 pounds. Now, the Roman soldiers had a task to get him all the way up to Golgotha so that he might be crucified. And so, with Jesus collapsed under that weight, they look around and it says they pick one man out of the crowd, Simon of Cyrene, and they said, you come and help us get Jesus and this crossbeam to its location. Now, what do we learn about Simon? I want to point out a couple of things about Simon of Cyrene. The first thing that we need to realize is this is Simon, but not Simon Peter. What did Peter say? Peter had said just the night before, Jesus, even if everyone else leaves you, I won't leave you. And yet what had Peter done? He had denied Christ and run away. I think it's an ironic moment of history that someone else named Simon shows up in this day. It wasn't Simon Peter. It was a different Simon, Simon of Cyrene. When we say Simon of Cyrene, we mean that he was a man from Cyrene, a town in North Africa. He had obviously come from North Africa to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, to offer a sacrifice of a lamb for his family in celebration of this holiday. When he's there for that event, he comes face to face with the true Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. This is Simon from Cyrene. Not only that, but also we know about Simon of Cyrene from Mark's gospel in chapter 15 that Simon's family is mentioned, including the name of his kids. Now, what that lets us know is that Simon and his kids probably became leaders in the church in North Africa. 
They became known by the followers of Christ so that Mark mentions them by name because it was a shout out to some friends. People knew these men. They knew this family and it connected the dots for them. Simon did not show up in Jerusalem as a follower of Jesus, but he left as one. It's an important thing for us to see. This is what we come to know about Simon of Cyrene. But friends, what do we learn from Simon of Cyrene, from this experience? Not just who was he, but what do we learn from this experience? Well, the first thing that we learn is this. We learn that Jesus carries the heavier burden. Jesus carries the heavier burden. It's a powerful thing for us to see because in this moment, Simon of Cyrene carried the crossbeam the last few hundred feet to the cross. But it was Jesus who endured the heavier load. It was Jesus who was going to the cross to offer his life for the forgiveness of sin. Simon walked away, but Jesus died there on that cross. Simon walked up fully rested and intact. Jesus had been scourged and been up all night. Jesus carried the heavier burden. Jesus carried the heavier load. But Simon shared in that experience just for a moment. This reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, when he was talking to his disciples, and he says, "'Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light.'" What Jesus was saying when he talked to his followers, he said, come and become attached to me. And though we will walk a line together, Jesus says, I will take the heavier load. That's demonstrated here in this experience. Simon walked along with Jesus, but Jesus carried the heavier burden, the burden of the sins of the world. Not only that, But we are reminded in this experience with Simon that those who follow Jesus follow him into persecution. We're reminded of that fact. Remember what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24? He said, if anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, when Jesus was headed to the cross, He was headed there receiving the shame and scorn of the Roman world and the Jewish religious leaders. Those who would become associated with Jesus would also, for a few moments in their life, have to experience that kind of scorn and rejection as well. Simon models that for us here in that as he becomes connected to Christ through this moment in time, He carries the cross, a symbol of shame, the last few hundred feet. And it's a reminder for us that all who follow Christ will follow him into persecution. Jesus has said this. Now, for for some of us, that persecution that we follow Jesus into might be the rejection of family. For others, it, it might not be the rejection of family. It might be being ostracized by some friends or not invited to some parties. In certain parts of the world, it might mean losing your job or it might mean imprisonment, arrest. Friends, there are believers all over the world today who are persecuted by the government under which they live 
for their faith in Jesus and nothing else. When we see Simon carrying the cross that little ways, we're reminded that all who follow Christ open themselves up to the persecution, the scorn, and the rejection that he experienced. We see that here. But because Jesus bore the heavier burden, though we will experience difficulty, we experience it differently than we would have otherwise. I want to point out a couple of different verses in the rest of the New Testament that help elucidate this point a little bit more for us. The first is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, where Paul is talking about persecution because of our faith in Christ, but also any other burden that we bear or challenge that we go through. And he, and he calls those burdens, the, the persecution, the challenges that we experience, he calls them light and momentary. He says, our light momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. Do you see what he's saying there? What he's saying is that the things that we go through, the challenges that we experience, when compared to what Jesus went through on the cross, are short, light, and momentary. Compared to what God has promised us for all eternity, the challenges that we have are short, light, and momentary. Think about the implications of that for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are imprisoned around the world today because of their faith in Jesus. They might be encouraged today that it is light and it is momentary because Jesus bore the heavier burden on the cross for them. We think about the experience of somebody even in our own city people that we know who might have been rejected by their families because they have decided to follow Christ or they're seen as weird or strange by their friends. Friends, that shame, those difficulties are light and momentary compared to what Jesus has done for us. Friends, Simon carried the cross for a short time, but Jesus bore the weight and we're reminded of that truth. God blesses us through Christ, even if we have a light and a momentary affliction for a while. This is true of those who have lost their job. It's light and it's momentary. It doesn't feel that way right now. It's light and it's momentary. This is true of those who are dealing with illness today or, or crippling anxiety right now. It is light and it is momentary compared to what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Friends, we, we come today and we remember this when we think of carrying the cross for a short time on this earth. Also, something else, though, that happens because Jesus bore the heavier load, we have the opportunity to fellowship with him even as we suffer and struggle. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. We all want that, right? We want to know Jesus. We want to know the power of his resurrection. But he also says, and that I may share or have fellowship with his sufferings, becoming like him even in death. Friends, as we go through challenge and difficulty, there's a camaraderie that happens between us and our Savior who has also suffered. But he has suffered with a heavier load so that we might experience a light and a momentary affliction, but we have fellowship with him in that moment. I think it's no accident that Simon of Cyrene became a follower of Christ because of the fellowship he had with Jesus in that very moment. And friends, we today, as we go through difficulty, as we deal with these challenges, even as we are persecuted, 
We can carry that cross and experience a fellowship with the Son of God in the midst of that suffering. So the first thing that we see, friends, is that we can honor Jesus as King. And the second thing we see is that we can carry the cross with Jesus. But the third thing that I think we need to see from this passage is this. Don't make a mocker's mistake. Don't make a mocker's mistake. Now, we see this in verses 33 through 44, and I want to just summarize some of what we see in those verses. In those verses, we are reminded that the crucifixion was something that happened in public. It was not a private thing. It happened out in the open for everyone to see. Golgotha was a public place, most likely along a major highway, because the Romans crucified people in very public places. Because not only did they want to, to, to kill this person that was under a crime of some kind, but they also wanted to intimidate everyone else by a show of their power so that they might not make similar mistakes. He was crucified in the public place of Golgotha. He was crucified naked. They took his clothes off and they, they gambled for them. He was naked upon the cross. Now, this is important and significant for us to see. Because Jesus was not hiding in a robe. Some people have wanted to look at the account of the crucifixion, and they want to say that somehow they put a body double in for Jesus, that it wasn't really Jesus who died, but it was someone else. Everyone from the Gnostics of the second century to modern-day skeptics have tried to answer the question of the empty tomb by saying that someone else died in Jesus' place. They are missing the point, friends. He died without anything on, hiding under no garment, with no mask under the direction of professional executioners. He died in public. He died naked. Not only that, but he died with a a sign above his head that said, the king of the Jews, written in three languages, John's gospel tells us, so that everyone who passed by might see and know the pronouncement that Pilate gave upon him. Again, this is a reminder, friends, that Jesus died in a public place on purpose. The Romans wanted him seen. That's why the sign was written in three languages. Pilate didn't need it in three languages for his own edification or his own purpose or to remind himself. He wanted everybody else who saw it. So Jesus is paraded through the streets with this sign about his neck. He is nailed to the cross and this sign is hung above his head on purpose, intentional in public so that everyone would see it. Soldiers had to guard his body because they knew that he was very popular and they were concerned that somebody might come and try to take him. All of these things, friends, are reminders that Jesus was crucified in public. Now, why, why do I go through all of that? Because Romans chapter 3, verse 25 says this, whom God put forward. Another translation says, whom God put on public display, Jesus as a propitiation or payment by his blood to be received by faith. Friends, our faith was not cooked up in the forest where one person goes out and gets a message and comes back. Our faith was demonstrated in public based upon history. Our faith is not the product of of people gathering in a closed boardroom, and the only people that know what happened were those that were in the room where it happened. This is not what happened. It is in a public place where Jesus was crucified. Our faith was put on full display by God, recorded in history, so that we would know 
that this event really happened and it makes all the difference in the world how we respond to it. Now, because the event was in public, a number of people saw it. One of those who see it, groups of people that see it, were the groups of passerbys, verse 39 tells us. These were people that were just walking along the road that looked up and saw Jesus. Another group was the religious leaders. Verse 41 tells us that they they came out. Those that had offered the sentence, Caiaphas and his buddies, had come out to watch Jesus, and they were mocking him at that time. Also, even those who were crucified with him. Again, this was a, a public event attended by many, including others who were being killed in that moment, and they were all mocking him at that time. Now, what were they doing as they mocked him? I think it's fascinating for us to see in verse 40, 42, and 43 what it was that they were saying about Jesus. They, they mocked him as the Son of God. You who claim to be able to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days, you're not really the Son of God, though you claim to be. You who say that you're the Savior or the King of the Jews, I mean, you're not even able to save yourself in this moment. They were mocking him. You who say that you are the son of the Father, I mean, where has that gotten you? It's gotten you no place. It's gotten you to the cross. That's what they were doing. They were mocking him in this public location. But friends, I think that they were making a terrible mistake as they mocked him. It seems as though as Jesus was beaten, that his identity was obscured in their presence. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14 says, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Now, I know that's talking about his physical beating, but it's almost as if the circumstances around the crucifixion and his physical beating had obscured the reality of who Jesus really was, so that they began to mock him. But if they had just had the right perspective, they would have seen Jesus for who he really was even in that moment. Friends, in that moment, they mocked him for claiming to be the Son of God, but he revealed himself to be the Son of God in that moment. They said, you who say you can tear the temple down and rebuild it in three days, look at you now, but what was he doing? What was he doing? Think about this. What was he doing? He was dying on the cross. But then, three days later, what would happen? He would be resurrected from the grave. Friends, in that moment, they mocked him as the Son of God, but he was revealing himself as the Son of God. In that moment, they were mocking him as the Savior. You've saved others. Save your, you, know, you can't even save yourself. And yet, what was Jesus doing in that very moment? He was saving them. The Christ, the Messiah, was offering his life on the cross for them. Had Jesus come down off of the cross as they, they said that they wanted him to do, he would have been unchristed, so to speak. The very action he was doing demonstrated his ability to save. Jesus knew that. He was revealing himself to be not only the king of the Jews, but the king of kings in that moment. And his connection to God was revealed in that he was willing to trust God in obedience, even all the way to death, as we saw at the beginning of our message, even death on a cross. Friends, do not allow the beating that Jesus endured to obscure the revelation of who he really is. 
He was revealed in this moment, friends, as the Son of God, the Savior, the King. And we have the opportunity to trust in Him. Friends, wherever you sit right now today, regardless of your experience in the past, I I want you to just for a moment pause and reflect on who Jesus is revealed in history, not in a closet, not in a forest, not in a boardroom, but on public display, revealed himself to be the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and your King. Don't make the mocker's mistake. Instead, trust him today. Jesus opened wide his arms on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, but also to embrace you as his follower, and to bless you with an eternal weight of glory. Friends, have you trusted in Christ? Are you trusting in him today? If not, let this morning be the time. Let this COVID-19 era be the moment in history when you realize that you will not live forever, that you, but you will spend eternity someplace. And because of what Jesus has done, you can spend an eternity with God. And may you drop to your knees and embrace him. Give him the honor and respect that he deserves. And follow him in faith for all of your days. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us to worship today, the power of this passage, this moment in history where Jesus revealed himself to be exactly who he claimed to be and who you said that he was as the Son of God. Father, we are sinful people, but you have made a way for our afflictions to be momentary and light as you bless us with fellowship with you and an eternal weight of glory. Father, may we all, wherever we are today, turn and depend upon Jesus for our hope for all time. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.